The New Testament doesn't mean that God had to come up with a new plan to bring salvation to mankind. The New Testament is really the fulfillment of the Old Testament through the man, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament was showing through the people of Israel that through the flesh we cannot live according to the laws of God. But Jesus Christ came to do what we could not do of ourselves. So it's not a new plan of God. It has actually been declared from ancient times through God's holy prophets as recorded for us in the Old Testament. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So if you haven't done it already, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And I titled this based off of verse 16 where... Paul declares, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So I titled this Unashamed. Romans has been called the most important letter ever written. And Romans is both a systematic theology, really bringing out the central themes, and it's also a missionary document. It applies to the practical issues of the church today. And so we're going to see perhaps as far as in one place in the epistles of the New Testament, the most concise theology of the New Testament, meaning that speaking about what the, who we are as Christians, but also the work of Jesus Christ, but also the practical side, how we are to live for Christ. That's why the overall series, I titled it from Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul calls us, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. And so I titled our overall series in Romans, Be Transformed. The work of the gospel is not just to save us, but it is to transform us into the image that the Lord would have for us, how we should look as the image of Christ to others. In his lectures on Romans, Ironside begins it saying, The epistle to the Romans is undoubtedly the most scientific statement of the divine plan for the redemption of mankind that God has been pleased to give us. Apart altogether from the question of inspiration, we may think of it as a treatise of transcendent intellectual power, putting to shame the most brilliant philosophies ever conceived by the minds of men. 
But it kind of gives us the idea that by getting into the epistle of Romans, that we're stepping into some very holy ground here and perhaps uh, unworthy to even try to contemplate all that Paul has given us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, we will go and, and see what God will teach us for today. That's my hope, to get fresh eyes on the epistle of Romans, to see what the Lord would have to teach us from his word. Well, historically, this letter is believed to have been written from Corinth when Paul was closing out his third missionary journey, and they dated anywhere from A.D. 56 to 58. We do know that he wrote the letter as he was preparing to go to Jerusalem. He had an offering to present in Jerusalem. We know that he had met Christians from Rome, but he had never personally ministered there. But he reveals in this letter his purpose is to introduce himself to the Roman believers, but also to encourage them to put together just a beautiful theology of our Christian faith, but to tell them of his plans to go and to visit them. Paul did not know that once he made it to Jerusalem, he would be arrested and he would get to go to Rome, but he would actually get a free trip there from Rome itself as a prisoner of Rome as he would be on trial first in Jerusalem and then in Caesarea, ultimately in Rome itself. And so we see an apostle's plans as it's laid out, especially here in the opening verses of Romans. And then as we get into chapters 15 and 16, as he closes out, he lays out a bit more of the detail of the plans that he had. God would overrule his plans. I've discovered that often I will come up with plans and God will overrule my plans. And maybe I somewhat get there the way I had envisioned, but God has a different way of getting me there. It's not quite what I had thought. And here we find Paul just pouring out his heart to a church that he had never met before, revealing to them the central themes of our Christian theology, wanting to help them that they might live transformed lives through faith in Jesus Christ. I hope that we, as we go through Romans, that it would help us also to want to live transformed lives through Jesus Christ. So I titled this teaching, Unashamed, uh, based off of verse 16 of chapter 1. And we're going to break it into three parts. I'm going to keep it fairly simple. Paul's calling, verses 1 through 7. Paul's desire, verses 8 through 13, and Paul's faith, verses 14 through 17. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 7, open us up in prayer, and we'll get into the teaching of God's Word. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, through whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, 
among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we look into this portion of your word this morning. I pray, Father, through the empowering of your Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that inspired Paul to pen these words. Holy Spirit, now work among us to hear what the Spirit is saying to your church this day, this church. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul's calling, and he begins in verse 1, Paul introducing himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. I noticed as I was reading verse 1 that the to be, called to be an apostle, is in italics, which tells us those two words, those two little words, to be, they're not in the original Greek. And so if we uh, bring it back to the original Greek, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle. So he's introducing himself to Rome. First, as a servant. Uh, the Greek word is doulos, and it means a bond servant, someone who belongs to another. And Paul understood that he belonged to Jesus Christ, just as Peter, and Jude, and James and their epistles also called themselves doulos or bond servants of Jesus Christ. They identified themselves as belonging to Jesus, serving the one who had served them through a sacrifice on the cross, but also called an apostle. Apostello is the Greek word, and it means to be sent with the message or to be an ambassador. And Paul was an ambassador who brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, first and foremost, but also to the Jews. Paul had a great love for his Jewish brethren, but he was called an apostle to the Gentiles, as we find in Romans eleven thirteen, he says, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul knew his place. He knew his calling. And he said, I am a, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, but I am also called an apostle. I've been separated to the gospel of God. Separated, it's a word to be set off by boundary. It's like uh, having property lines. Maybe in the home that you live at or the church property here. I, I have to tell you that I've lived in a number of homes uh, throughout my life. And I've discovered that people like to encroach sometimes on your property. I don't know what it is, but uh, sometimes you move into that situation, a house that we lived in in Zion. Uh, we moved into the situation where we only had two neighbors. There was a road in front of us. Uh, I mean, we had more than two neighbors, but on either side. Uh, the road in front of us, an alley in the back, so we didn't touch anybody's property to the east or the west. But on the north and the south, both neighbors had already encroached on this person's property that became my property. So I had somebody's shed half stuck in my yard on one side and somebody's driveway uh, encroaching about five feet into our yard on the other side. Set apart, it means set boundaries. And it's good to have those boundaries. We read about those in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we learned as they went into the promised land that no one was to move the set markers. 
Paul understood the set boundaries for his life. He had been separated. It means, Vine says, to be used of divine action in setting men apart for the work of the gospel. His mission for life, called an apostle, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, separated to the gospel of God. But promised and declared in verses 2 through 4, now this gospel of God, in verse 2 he goes on to say, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. The gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to understand that it wasn't a new plan. The New Testament doesn't mean that God had to come up with a new plan to bring salvation to mankind. The New Testament is really the fulfillment of the Old Testament through the man, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament was showing through the people of Israel that through the flesh we cannot live according to the laws of God. But Jesus Christ came as a representative of both the uh, Greek and the Jews to show in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. He came to do what we could not do of ourselves. So it's not a new plan of God. It has actually been declared from ancient times through God's holy prophets as recorded for us in the Old Testament. Peter would write in 2 Peter 1.21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. A couple of great early prophecies. Uh, the first found in Genesis 3.15. It is called the first gospel by theologians. They have a fancier name for it, but it's called the first gospel. Genesis 3.15, where it talks about Satan bruising the heel of Jesus, but Jesus bruising or crushing Satan's head. And then the second is actually found in the New Testament, but it speaks of an Old Testament prophet. In the New Testament, in Jude 14 and 15, it tells of Enoch who proclaimed the Lord's second coming before the Lord took him into heaven. Enoch proclaiming that the Lord will come with 10,000 of his saints. So in the New Testament, we find an Old Testament prophecy from one of the early Old Testament prophets. So Jesus, as the son of David, it, it tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant that God gave to David in 2 Samuel 7. I was reading through First uh, and Second Chronicles this week, and... There was one of the kings, and I think it was King Ahaz, but I, I'm not sure on that. And there's a lot of different names, a lot of different kings. But it, he was a king from the, from the line of David. And one of the first things that he did after he secured his throne, and it took like five years for him to secure his throne, is that he killed all his brothers. Now, he was part of the line of David. And I was thinking about that, and maybe it was the first time that I thought about it. Of course, the Lord didn't allow all of the uh, sons of David to be killed. He had a brother that was hidden away. He was only a baby, 
but he was hidden away, and so this king never knew of this young son existing. But I was thinking about that. Through try, attempting to kill all of the descendants of David, he then was attempting to usurp his authority over the authority of God's word. He was basically saying, I don't care what you promised my forefather David, that through his lineage would come the Messiah. All I'm worried about is me. And he tried to usurp God's authority. Of course, he failed. And we find just coming through Christmas that Jesus as the son of David, we find that fulfillment in the Christmas story in Matthew 1.1. He's called the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we're given that genealogy of Joseph, his stepfather. And in Luke 3.38, Jesus is called the son of Adam, the son of God, as we're given the genealogy of Mary, his bloodline there. But he is the son of David, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies concerning him, but also the son of God, which is proved by his resurrection from the dead. And the early church, they, this is what they preached. They preached Christ crucified, but also that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. Acts 1.3, the Bible tells us, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. His resurrection, it was proven that he was, through the resurrection, the Son of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 tells us that he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. So the resurrection proving that he is the Son of God. But also his grace and apostleship is found in verses 5 and 6. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also, you are also the called of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, Paul and those who ministered with him, they had received grace and apostleship. The grace is charis in the Greek, and it means to have a favorable regard, God's grace toward us. And this speaks about God's favor, God's kindness toward those in context, Paul says, toward those who are ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we know that God's grace is extended toward everyone, everyone, period. God's grace has been extended toward the whole world. But it's received by those who receive the work of his son by believing in faith in the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. God's grace, God's apostleship, uh, similar as Paul being called an apostle, a similar Greek word just has a different ending on it, but one who is sent forth. We receive God's grace that we might be sent forth to preach the gospel among the nations, that others might come to the obedience of faith. And once saved, these new believers discovered that they too are the called of God. We are the called of God, that God has also called us. We have been called. In other words, the gospel was not limited to just a, a select few, but it's to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord in life-saving faith. 
And the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 12, and 13, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the Lord, the same Lord is over all, who is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we find that Paul has been called and separated. We see the promised, and he declared the grace in his apostleship, and now the beloved and called once again, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd said in verse 1 that the to be, Paul called to be an apostle, that the to be had been inserted by the translators. We also discover in verse 7 the same thing is true. The to be there has been inserted by translators. It actually reads, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called saints. I think that's important because there is a segment of our church who believes that you can't be called a saint unless you have done saintly things, unless there have been, after your death, some miracles uh, surrounding prayers that have been prayed through you to Christ, and then eventually you can be uh, given this title as a saint. But the epistles never have such a, a dogma. We don't discover it in the epistles at all. We are saints. We've been separated unto God, called saints. And he's writing to the Roman believers, the beloved of God, those who are called saints. They were once not the people of God, as it says in Romans 9, 25, who were not my people, but now they have become the beloved of God. And Romans 9, 26, and it shall come to pass in that place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. That God has such a great plan for us that he has made us part of his family. And it's because of his grace, as he closes out his salutation to the Roman believers in verse 7, saying grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Paul in all 13 of his epistles, and I'm not including Hebrews, Hebrews is not named, but we do have 13 epistles that are named as authored by Paul and perhaps Paul and Silas, Paul and Timothy. But in each of these epistles, he always has these two words, grace and peace, grace and peace. It was a common greeting that Paul used in all 13 of his epistles, 10 of these are identical where it says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Only in his pastoral epistles uh, to Timothy and to Titus did he insert the word mercy between these two words. But grace refers to God's love in action from which we can find true peace. I know you know the acronym that has come from the word grace God's riches at Christ's expense. And we find that Paul, as a bondservant, an apostle, he actively proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. He understood his mission. He understood his work in this world. 
even though it would come with a lot of conflict and a lot of trials and heartaches and trials. He knew he had been separated unto God and he was faithful to complete the work that the Lord had given to him. So Paul, first and foremost, in verses one through seven, we learn that Paul understood his calling. Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that there would be great blessings as we make our way through the epistle of Romans this year. Father, I pray that those blessings would begin this very day as we think about the things that we have read, perhaps heard through the preaching of your word. But Father, I just pray most importantly that it be a work of your Holy Spirit prodding our hearts. Lord, that we would become the people that you would have us to be. People, Lord, who are not conforming to this world and we see a segment of the church today conforming to the world today. But Lord, that we would be a people willing to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.